At this point in our service, I want to greet and welcome uh, our Waverly campus and our Grundy Center campus. Good morning. Thank you for being with us. And it's so good that in this moment, all of our services and online are all in one place right here. And uh, this is the final week of our series, Stories from the Seats. Jesus is alive, and he's at work in people's lives right now, just like he was in Bible times. And every year during this service, we invite people who normally sit in the seats to walk forward, come on stage, and uh, tell us about God's work in their life. This morning, that person is Dan Cagle. Those in Cedar Falls might know the Kegels because they sit in those seats right there for years at 9.15. And uh, you might also know Dan's deceased wife, who sang in our worship bands for years. Uh, those in Grundy, you'll see his face and you'll say, I think I know, who, how do I know that guy? Well, here's how you know him. Dan was the face of Peter's construction. He was the project manager of the building you're sitting in right now. And he said some words at the groundbreaking and at the grand opening, and he attended the one-year celebration of that building. And all of us at Orchard who've been here a while would recognize Dan and Dawn, his deceased wife, because at the 2014 gathering, we featured Dawn, who was dying of cancer, and we featured her courageous faith with a video, and then at the close of the service, we laid hands on Dan and Don. Uh, take a look at the closing seconds of this video that we showed in 2014. I mean, I just believe you love your kids, love them every day. You know, stop waiting to make up for things. Just do the best that you can all the time. And frankly, it's just easier when you have Jesus. It's easier when you have a devotion and you open up and go, how did it know? That's exactly what I needed that day. For people who don't have a church community, then I feel like they have a big disservice. Or when I think of people who are going through, I, I'm going through, but they don't have good health insurance, or they don't have people who are coming to help. I mean, that saddens me so much, because this is hard enough with support. And so, um, to not give Jesus a try, I'm thinking this is like, you know, this is a free offer. Give it a go. You're not going to lose anything, you know? So. We are uh, eager to hear your story this morning, Dan. Thanks, Dave. Uh, good morning. Um, as Dave mentioned, my name is Dan Cagle, and I want to share my story with you today. And it's a story of brokenness and of God's grace and redemption. So let's start with my childhood. I've got the quintessential 1970s family photo. Um, that's me, the littlest one. And so uh, I'm the youngest of seven, and that's right, I said seven children. And so there are a couple things you can already guess about my family. My mom is a saint, and my dad drank a lot. <laughs> now, I made that seem funny, but it was true. My dad was an alcoholic, and when I was at the age of five or six, he finally got sober and promptly divorced my mom, his wife of 20 plus years. So this photo is one of the last ones of our family altogether. And while I love my dad, I never really had a relationship with him. Their divorce was a bad one, and it became too hard for me to even go visit my dad because of how it made my mom feel. 
So for those of you who uh, go through a divorce and can rise above the anger and the hurt for your children, I, I really commend you because I know that's hard. So uh, my mom was incredible and uh, had to work so hard to support our family. Um, we didn't have a lot of money, but God's pr- grace prevailed. And I got to spend a lot of time with my grandma Lane, who was an amazing woman of faith, who loved unconditionally and, and told the best stories. Um, she, was, she was great. I can see God's grace through my brokenness and my rejection of faith when I was a kid. While I grew up going to church with my mom, I was a really smart kid who thought that all the things I was being taught in school were right, and all the things in the Bible were just fairy tales. I considered myself an atheist, but my mom and Bob Matthews at the Irie United Methodist Church never gave up on me. They continued to pour God's love and truth into me, which would be foundational to my own eventual faith. I see God's grace through my brokenness and that I had a job working at Hy-Vee, which helped, ease, which helped keep me out of trouble in high school and also ease the burden on my mom. Um, his invisible grace was present as I attended Baxter High School, uh, which gave me a great education, teachers and friends who believed in a smart, smart aleck, poor farm boy, and taught me to pursue my dreams and provided a scholarship that led me to Iowa State University. I see God's grace through my brokenness in that once I got to college, I started drinking and I found plenty of trouble. Um, In fact, I nearly flunked out and I lost my scholarship after my sophomore year. But I found a beautiful girl named Don Lobig who helped me turn things around in my life by envisioning this future with her, uh, which made me work really hard and finish my degree in construction engineering um, through all the hardship and and poor decisions I'd made early uh, early in my college years. I see God's audacious grace in my relationship with Don, which was crazy from the start. So many disastrous things he saw us through. Me asking her to Colorado for a week-long skiing trip on our first date. Um, the two of us moving in together after only dating for a month, uh, or, or so, it was maybe a month and a half. Um, I'm giving us the benefit of the doubt. Don graduating 18 months before me and having to wait three years for me to marry her. Um, but then, getting married, graduating, and moving to Colorado in a 10-day peri- period. So, so many things that should have gone, should have, could have ended really, really badly, God provided a way for us. Uh, God continued to provide a way through our brokenness when Colorado didn't work out for either of us, and we moved back to Iowa within, within six months. Uh, we bought a little house in Waukee, and we started our perfect little family with two bouncing baby boys named Jacob and Caleb. I got a picture here. Aren't they cute? <laughs> uh, life was both amazing and hard then, but God was not part of it. I was working the normal 50 to 60 hours a week of a construction project manager and spent my spare time working on our house projects. Uh, Don was trying to raise two boys with very little help from me um, and treating several other kids like her own in her home daycare business. We loved each other, but the little things like finances, struggles with raising kids, and long work hours were taking their toll. At that time, uh, I was addicted to pornography, and although I was able to keep it pretty well hidden, um, it was taking its toll on on me personally and on our relationship. And that's the thing with sin. It feels good at the time, but the reason God hates it is that he knows that whether or not it's visible on the outside, it's leaving invisible damage to your heart and to your mind and to your relationships. But while we were still sinners, God has sent his son Jesus into our brokenness. 
our best friends all started going to a church called Point of Grace, which at the time was meeting in a, in a school gym in West Des Moines. Dawn really wanted to go um, to, to be there with her friends and to be part of church, but I was resistant. After a few weeks of talking about it, though, um, really her, her uh, insisting that we go, we finally went. It was weird for, for me going to a school gym, really for both of us, going to a school gym and singing contemporary worship music when we both grew up in stained glass churches singing hymns um, and sitting in pews. It was different and uncomfortable, but you could feel God moving in that place. Within a few weeks, though, we loved going, and although we wouldn't have been able to verbalize it, we knew God was drawing us closer to him. After a couple months, there was a men's ministry steak fry, and my friend Chuck uh, and I decided to go along with Sean, one of Chuck's friends, and some of the guys there had just come back from Promise Keepers, and they were sharing their testimonies of brokenness and forgiveness, just like I'm doing today with you. By the power of the Holy Spirit, one of them felt led to pray, and asked if there was anyone in that room who felt like they needed to repent of their sin and allow Jesus to come into their lives and be their savior. And it was like a lightning bolt shot up through my chair. And uh, so um, I was standing immediately, and so were Chuck and Sean. It was, it was an incredible moment for, for us. We w- walked in not expecting that. We walked in expecting to have steak and uh, came away with something so much better. And so all the brothers gathered around us and prayed for us uh, and with us as we were saved that night, and our lives were changed forever by the blood of Jesus Christ. My life became totally focused on faith, and the Holy Spirit began to conform every aspect of my life to position me for a faith that would guide us through eternity. While I was totally transformed that night, it took Don a little bit of time to adjust to my newfound fire for God. But since her faith in God had really never left her, it was pretty easy for her to embrace this life of faith. Don had always wanted another baby, but I thought she was crazy. And one of the things that God revealed to me was that we could trust him to take care of us. So the night after Don and I were baptized, we had another bouncing baby boy named Lucas. And Don, and Don had always referred to him as our miracle baby because of the timing of his conception and birth. A few months later, Don was pregnant with Gabe, and our not-so-little family was complete. So that was when we forgot what sleep was like. Um, once, once we had all four of those guys, we, um, I, I'm still not sure I know. We continued to see God's grace through our brokenness and changing our finances to show us the importance of tithing and living within a budget. Through my changing jobs so that I, could, that I thought would allow me to express my faith more, but it ended up being a total disaster. Um, another job in a big corporation that I didn't really fit into. And ultimately, I was laid off in 2009 from this big corporation due to the economic downturn. And as it usually does, we ultimately saw God's grace in all of this as it led us to the Cedar Valley um, and to Peter's Construction, Cedar Falls Schools, and Orchard Hill Church, which would all become so important to us over the next few years, although at the time, it was really difficult. I say it was difficult, but God's grace led us through. We had found a beautiful house to make our home, and the boys loved school, and my job at Peter's was way better than I could have expected and was starting to feel like a family to me. And while Dawn really struggled at first, her newly restarted daycare business was filled with amazing kids and parents, and we had made some really great friends. So after a few years, it felt like we were in a really good place in our relationship, in our finances, with our family, friends, and with our faith. We were ripe for the picking for the enemy, 
and he hit us hard. On Christmas night in 2012, after an amazing day with our family, Dawn felt a tiny bump on her upper chest when we went to bed. She knew immediately that it wasn't right. She already had an appointment scheduled to get a mammogram for the next week, so I calmed her down and I told her that she could talk with them about it then and they would check her out. She had that appointment and the doctor told her that it wasn't breast cancer and it was likely just a broken blood vessel or something. It was still there a couple months later and um, so she went to another doctor to check it out. Same story, don't worry about it, it's no big deal. But guy continued to press upon her that it shouldn't be there and she wanted it out. And so finally in August of 2013, we had planned a trip to Des Moines and she made an appointment with a surgeon to do, to do a, bunch, a punch biopsy to remove it. A week later, it came back to be a really big deal. As the biopsy came back as melanoma, the most deadly form of skin cancer. We learned a few things. We learned that it was metastatic stage four melanoma. So what does that mean? We didn't know. It was a hard day when one of the melanoma specialists at Mayo Clinic told us that patients with stage four metastatic melanoma usually live between six months to two years, that this would take Don's life, and that it would likely happen within the next 18 months. I'm not sure what to say about the next six years. No, really, I wrote this down on here because I don't know how to say this without another hour um, to talk to you guys. Melanoma literally took over all of our lives. And it was so hard. First they found melanoma in Dawn's lung and she endured surgery and infusions which made her really sick. Then she developed 40 or 50 lesions underneath her skin, little bumps, little blue bumps. And she had them all cut out. And she tried chemotherapy pills which made her sick. And then, after one particularly bad bout of sickness that left her hospitalized, she got an eye infection. And that eye infection caused them to find lesions in her brain. Which at the time was devastating and a miracle all at the same time because there was no reason they should check her brain. But they did, and they found melanoma. Dawn fought so hard for us. And she did it with an unbelievable faith and a love for Jesus that a person can really only understand when they walk beside someone going through and witness it firsthand. Some of us were given that privilege to witness it. I was given that privilege. And we learned how to trust God in those hard days. The level of trust we had to have in God was unbelievable. And it was my job to encourage her. It was my job to have faith when she can muster the strength. And I loved it. I love her, so it was easy. It was easy to fight right alongside of her. It was easy to be her advocate, to help her make really hard decisions that no one should ever have to make, to pray for her. Man, did I learn how to pray. Day and night, while we were lying in bed, I laid my hands on her and I prayed for her comfort, for her healing. And this story will sound familiar to so many of you because you were right there with us. You were praying for us and making us meals and crying with us and loving us and encouraging us. It was unbelievable to us. Don's parents and my mom practically lived with us for those six years to help us care for Don when she needed it. 
And we were so blessed to share those moments together and those times together with her and with him. At the end of July of 2019, almost six years after that first doctor told us she would live 18 months, Dr. Block came in and told us that the cancer had spread to the lining and the fluid in her brain. There was no good treatment course and she would go home soon. I couldn't believe it. For the first time in her melanoma, melanoma journey, I understood that she wouldn't be with me and that I was going to lose my best friend and the love of my life. And it was now my job to love and to comfort as God's beautiful creation, my girl, had her earthly body fully broken by the enemy and her spirit taken home to be with Jesus. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Don went home to heaven on August 18th, 2019, and this world seemed empty. We all dealt with and are still dealing with her going to heaven in our own way. The months after were really rough. We were struggling, and one of my sons was suicidal. Another has anxiety still this day. I was trying to figure out how to live as life as a single parent and working really hard at Peter's to make up for all the time I'd lost during Don's sickness. And I was missing her so much that I didn't know how I was going to make it through some days. I got to a pretty low place, being super irritable and critical with my boys, avoiding my friends and being semi-productive at best at my job, and just becoming a really selfish person. I just wanted to go live in a van in my own little bubble and shut out the world completely. September and October were rough, but November and December were brutal as a reality that all of my previous hopes and dreams in this world were shattered. It just felt like no amount of understanding that Don was in heaven would improve my murky, dark remaining days. After Christmas, my mind reverted back to being consumed with frustration and grief again, and by New Year's Eve, I was back to my broken self. Every year, Don and I would spend New Year's with our good friends, Beth and Tyler Huffman. They're here today. Thank you guys for being here. But I pretty much told them that I didn't really want to hang out with them because I wasn't going to be that much fun that year. My plan was to have a few very strong adult beverages and be grateful that 2019, the worst year of my life, was coming to an end. Well, even though I was and have been a pretty terrible friend to them, the Huffmans showed up at my door that night because Tyler just had a feeling that they needed to stop by and see me. We ended up reflecting on the past year and talking and crying for several hours. And by the end of the night, I was actually feeling a little hopeful and I had this feeling that God would provide revelation in 2020 about what my future held. Mind you, I had no idea what that future would be or what that life would look like, but I knew that something had to change, that God loved me and that he was faithful to see his plan for my life fulfilled. So as I said before, for six years, it had become habitual for me to lay my hands on Dawn at night when we went to bed and in the morning when I woke up and to pray for her healing and comfort and faith. And in those times, God changed me into someone who strongly believes in the power of prayer. And it was my way to connect with God and with Dawn and that ability to pray for her was actually a huge loss for me when she went home. And after I prayed for Dawn, I also took that time to talk to God and pray for our family and life joys and hardships and other people and situations that he placed on my heart. So it seemed pretty natural for me to take this desperation for revelation that I had been given and start praying in earnest for God to show me his plan 
that this hope and this future that he promised in his word, what it would look like. So on the night of January 1st, 2020, I started to pray, and not just praying, but really crying out to God in pain and in frustration and in hope because I needed to see his vision for my life. I asked him if he wanted me to quit my job, to move to another state, closer to my family, serve in the church, something, anything that would allow me to draw closer to him and to my boys and to a future that had a purpose and a meaning. A future that was filled with his joy and his peace for us because it felt like it had been really far from us for a long time. I'm not sure how many hours and how many nights I struggled to sleep as I prayed this prayer and how many mornings I woke up to start this journey with him. But after a few days, I finally heard his voice. I heard it deep in my very soul, and it was unmistakable. He said, I want you to love again. And for the first time in my faith journey, I was angry at God. Throughout all of our hard times prior, through Don's diagnosis, battle with cancer, and even her death, I always knew that he loved us, and I had faith that he would heal her, comfort us all, and finally receive her to himself. Sure, there were times when I was scared or broken or mourning, but never really angry or lost faith in God. I always trusted him. But this, how could he say this to me? He knew that Dawn was the love of my life and that there was no one else that I could ever love the way I love her. That part of my life was over. I was in no place to love someone. And even if I was, who would want to jump into our mess? Dawn was our life. And not just mine, but all of ours. There was no one who could ever hold a candle to her, ever, in our hearts. So I cried out. I I really lashed out at God. No, no. How could you do this to me? I was beside myself, literally in anguish. I had to shut my door because I thought my boys would think that I had finally, officially lost my mind. For several nights, I utterly rejected this thought, and I argued with him. I couldn't sleep. I was a wreck. I felt like I was literally wrestling with God. But he kept revealing himself to me with a patience and forbearance that I did not deserve. Answering my cries of anguish with a soft, still voice that penetrated my heart. And he said, I love you and I know what's best for you. Which of course I know to my core, but it wouldn't take me long before I would get agitated and question him again. How could you do this to Dawn? And to this he answered, I love Dawn, and she knows that I love that love now in a way that you can only imagine. She knows my plan. She no longer has any doubts, and she is 100% on board with what I am doing. And I believe that. I believe that right now Dawn knows everything about our lives from him. In fact, I don't think she would be in heaven for 10 seconds without asking God infinite questions about our lives and our futures. That's just how God made her to love us and to think of us. And I also know God loves her more than I ever could, ever have, or ever will. But it didn't really help, as I was still unable to see how I could ever get past what I saw as an impossibility, to love someone other than her. So again, I questioned his words to me. But how can you expect me to do this to Don? I love her so much. And to this he said, I didn't put Don into your life to teach you how to love in such an amazing way through her so that you can squander it away and waste the rest of your life not sharing that love with someone else. And I could understand this because my love for Don changed so much as I walked through her battle with cancer. 
in our life before, my love centered, for her centered around romance and about being attracted to her, about being grateful for what she was doing for me in our house and how she was making me feel. I loved her because she loved me and she loved our boys, and she was a fun, beautiful, and amazing person. As she became sick and scared, and surgeries and seizures and treatments impacted her brain and the ability to function, she really couldn't offer those things to me anymore. And what I learned is that I didn't really love her because of those things that I mentioned before. I loved her for her strength and her weakness. I loved her because she fought so hard for us and because she was broken. I loved her because she lost her hair and weight and scars and she was still the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I loved her because I could see Jesus in her, giving up her life so that we could have her for a few more years. So that we could learn what it's like to walk through the hardest things in this life, even death, with an endurance and courage and faith and love. So you see, even if I could figure out how to love again, there's still no way that I could see that anyone could see this kind of love that Don and I shared and want any part of wading into my brokenness. And I told this to God. But he persisted once again in showing his grace and mercy to my rejection for his will for my life. He shared with me this truth. The person I want you to love will understand that your love with Don is not something that has to be overcome but to be celebrated. You love for, your love for her cannot be replaced, and it doesn't need to be. But it can be added to in an amazing way. The person I want you to love will know this because they have the same kind of love and loss in their life. And so they will feel the same way. Again, I'm, I'm not sure how many nights this had gone on or how long I'd been strung out wrestling with this totally unexpected revelation and concept. I didn't want to love again. I wanted him to send me on to Africa on a mission trip or tell me that I needed to become a handyman so I could spend more time with the boys or take up paragliding or something. I was fighting tooth and nail to hang on to this vision of living out my remaining days as a loveless vagabond, going here and there as the Lord pleased. Again, he looked past my selfishness with love and he told me, this isn't just about you. It's about what I'm doing to redeem their pain along with yours. I want you to love Aaron Bartlett. And at that moment, I was broken. My resistance was gone, and I felt this really strange peace. This understanding that I was his servant, and that if this was his will for my life, that I would do whatever was in my power to bring it to pass. Because I can imagine a person on this earth who deserved to be loved more than Aaron. The problem is, I had absolutely no idea how that might happen. <laughs> you see, I didn't even know Aaron. <laughs> in fact, to my knowledge, I'd only met her one time in 2015, which she wouldn't even remember, although it impacted me very much. My only interaction with her was to give her a hug and to tell her that I was praying for them, as Dawn and I attended the visitation before the memorial service for her husband, Ben, and her son Charlie, and her daughter Bailey. Of course, this story will be familiar to many of you, especially those who have been around Orchard Hill uh, for any period of time. But for those who aren't familiar, Ben and Charlie and Bailey Bartlett died tragically in a car accident in Florida on their way back from a family vacation. 
And Aaron and Kaya, her daughter, amazingly survived. Like many of you, I was heartbroken when this happened and have been praying for Aaron and Kaya and the Bartlett and White Hill families regularly since the accident. Ben, Aaron's husband, was a worship leader at the Don Sangwith most of the time um, that she spent on the worship team here at Orchard before she got sick. Most of you know Dave, um, Ben's dad, who is a pastor here, but you, what you may not remember before today is that he was the pastor that walked with Dawn and her family while she battled melanoma, meeting with her regularly while she was sick and led her celebration of life service as she, after she went home. Their family has been such a blessing to Dawn and our family. So even though I felt God's peace about this in the moment, the reality of the situation quickly became apparent. I didn't know anything about Aaron's life today. Was she in a relationship already? Did she want another relationship? Even if she did, would she even like me? Would we even like each other? I didn't know any way to contact her, and even if I had, I wasn't sure I'd actually have had the courage to do it. I mean, how would that work? Hey, Aaron, God told me I was supposed to love you. You want to go to dinner? Yeah, right. Have you ever heard of a restraining order? Again, I'm making this seem funny, but all these questions seemed insurmountable. Now, you read all the time in the Bible about people who get direction from God and run away. Well, I didn't even know where to start to run either toward or away. The only person I knew was Dave. And think about that for a minute. How does that work, God? I'm going to reach out to a man that I deeply respect and care about very much and ask him to get me in contact with his son's wife because God told me that I was supposed to love her. Now, Dave is a great guy, but no one in their right mind thinks that conversation is going to end well. So I did what any rational person would do, nothing. I mean, God, what am I supposed to do? This doesn't make any sense. It's creepy. The more I thought about it, the crazier it sounded. And I knew what I heard and felt and felt the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment, but that wouldn't mean anything to anybody else. They didn't feel it. They'll think I'm nuts at best. But God continued to work on me. It felt like I was being pressed, literally a huge weight sitting right on my chest. The boys were noticing how beside myself I was, and I told them that God had told me that he wanted to love again, but I wasn't sure what would come of it. We had a surprisingly good conversation about this at uh, Raising Cane's, of all places. Um, but, and I told them kind of all the things that God had said to me, and that he was very specific about a certain person that I was called to love, although I didn't mention her name out of fear that it might not ever come to pass. More time went by, and after a couple days, I knew I had to do something. So I did the only thing I could do, and I texted Dave and invited him to lunch, not having any idea what I would say or how things would go. When we met, I just jumped in and told him all the things that God had spoken to me about him wanting me to love again and why it would work. Being about 90% coward and 10% tactful and sensitive to how this might make him feel, I didn't mention that God had spoken to me specifically about Aaron. But in spite of my omission, God saw fit to move because after hearing this, Dave said as only he could, well, this is very interesting because Aaron has recently decided that she might have, want to have another relationship. Sorry, Dave. I think my heart leapt into my throat, but I asked him very nonchalantly if he thought it might be helpful and encouraging to Aaron if she and I got together for a cup of coffee or something, you know, so she could hear about what God had spoken in my heart about having a relationship after losing someone you loved. 
And so the next couple of days were an emotional roller coaster for me. Would she be open to meeting with me? Would she think I was crazy? How would this impact my relationship with Dave and their family? How would this affect our family? So many doubts and questions, and the only thing I could do was trust God to do what he needed to do. Well, I did end up meeting with Erin, and surprisingly, she didn't decide to file a restraining order on me after hearing my story. We became really fast friends, but took things really slowly to make sure that we were tiptoeing into any kind of relationship in the best way possible for Kaya and the boys. The boys and I were and are still very much grieving the loss of Don. And it was important to us to allow us time and space to hurt and to heal and to love Don and one another as we kept pressing forward in our lives. Aaron and Kaya had spent almost five years figuring out how to live life without Ben and Charlie and Bailey. And they had their own special bond and lifestyle that we needed to do our best to make sure that any changes that were happening were positive and not negative. But as amazing and miraculous as the story of us meeting is, the real miracle is what God has done since then. Things that seems like they should be really hard to make work have worked way better than we thought they ever would. We all share in each other's love for those we've lost and honor the lives we had before tragedy stuck our, struck our families and turned our worlds upside down. The boys and Kaya and Aaron and I have grown to treat each other as a family and that has happened a lot quicker than we ever thought possible or could have hoped for. Here's a picture of us um, on a summer trip last summer at Glacier National Park. And so, as predicted on New Year's Eve, the year 2020 was definitely a year of revelation. It was a year of struggle and of joy for all of us. We had some really hard things, like me resigning from my job as vice president at Peter's Construction, COVID changing the world and our world, Don's dad having heart surgery while we were in Haiti and feeling powerless to help them and preventing us from seeing each other for nearly a year, telling Don's mom and dad and her brother um, about the story of God speaking to me in a relationship with Aaron, that was really hard for me. 2020 brought working through many of the hard firsts that come along with losing someone you love and sharing the new-to-us hard moments in Aaron and Kaya's life. Holidays, birthdays, anniversaries of our weddings and of losing those that we loved. But we also had some really amazing things, like a mission trip to Haiti, having freedom to spend tons of time together, Caleb's graduation from high school and Jacob and Natalie's wedding, vacations, starting back to work at Peter's in a much-reduced role, and our first holidays with Aaron and Kai and their families. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times, literally. After 2019 and 2020, this year should be a cakewalk, right? Well, 2021 has also been crazy and amazing so far. God continues to show us his grace and mercy. Aaron and I got engaged in January and are planning for our wedding in July. We just finished up purchasing a house and are all excited to get a fresh start to our lives together after the wedding. And so they all lived happily ever after, right? Well, if there's one thing that Aaron and I are not, it's naive to the hardships of this world. So as so many of you have been so faithful in doing over the past years, we still need you to pray for us and walk with us through whatever the next stage of our life brings. Please pray for patience. Pray for healing, because we'll be doing that for the rest of our lives. But most importantly, pray for love. So, to summarize my story, I leave you with this. Even though life changes in so many ways, God never changes. 
His promises are true. He will always be right here with us to help us and encourage us to move forward. Even when we resist and don't want to, even when it seems impossible. You see, my story from that seat right next to you is really our story. I pray that this story will help drive into your heart and mind that no matter what life gives and takes, that God is at work redeeming the hurt and pain in this life and giving love and joy and this unbelievable hope to trust Jesus for our eternity. And I pray that this testimony will be an encouragement for you to trust Jesus with your life because he is faithful. It's a free offer. Give it a go. You won't be, you won't be sorry. Thank you. Very good. Let's pray together. Uh, dear God, thank you that you are at work today just like in the Bible. Thank you that your spirit prompts us and speaks to our hearts. And thank you for uh, this story that Dan uh, just gave, but more importantly, the story he and Dawn and Aaron and Kaya and the boys all lived through. And Father, for those in the seats this morning or those online who have been touched by this story, we pray for them. If someone had an alcoholic dad or mom and this story touched them, we pray for them. If someone's living through the grief of a lost partner, we pray for them. If someone's uh, struggling with you know, all kinds of negative thoughts. We pray for them. If someone's in a time of depression, like Dan was in January, fighting, we pray for them. Father, we join Dan's final words in his story when he said uh, his prayer is that, his hope is that your faithfulness would be nailed down in our hearts. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen.